0: I.V.M. Welcome to Police Chalky, a special limited series on your favorite public policy podcast, All Things Policy. This series will take you behind the Khati uniform, beyond the flashing red beacon, and into the heart of the functioning of the Indian police force. We cast a critical eye on the role and function of the police in the Indian democracy. From the silent persistence of paperwork and meticulous investigation to risky counterterrorism efforts and policing in conflict zones, we explore the need for police reform and accountability in the system. Each episode brings you a comprehensive exploration of a unique facet of policing, illuminated by the insights of a former IPS officer who has lived the life behind the badge. So join us every Monday morning as we take you into the complex world of police chalky.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Police Chalky. While the criminal justice system takes care of a criminal after a crime has occurred, it is important from both a societal and public policy standpoint that crimes do not take place in the first place. This is good not only in terms of averting the damage to life, property on society that a crime can cause, but also effective crime prevention will help law enforcement agencies and criminal courts uh, which are already starved of resources and capacity and give them a breather. So, what is crime prevention? Crime prevention is defined as the total of all private initiatives and state policies other than the enforcement of criminal law aimed at the reduction of damage caused by acts defined as criminal by the state. In other words, crime prevention involves any activity by an individual or group, public or private, which attempts to eliminate crime prior to it occurring or before any additional criminal activity happens. So, with this background in mind, I would like to invite our guest on Police Jockey today, Mr. Javid Ahmed, former IPS officer and uh, DGP of Uttar Pradesh. Uh, Good to have you back, Mr. Ahmed, and welcome to Police Jockey. Good morning, Shri. Uh, It's always a pleasure to be back. Uh, Thank you, uh, Shri,
0: for uh, this episode on predictive policing. Uh, It's always nice to be back and I hope this particular uh, podcast gives our listeners some idea of the science and the thought process behind what is normally seen as routine police work so uh, over the next uh, half an hour or so uh, I hope that uh, our listeners will get to get some idea about how uh, the police works the the, the
1: the the processes behind the actual uh, policing on the street right uh, so the i want to begin by you know talking a little bit about the traditional methods of crime prevention which have been practiced in indian societies because preventing crimes is not a new idea, right? Like, it's pretty obvious. And uh, ever since crime existed, I'm sure the authorities have had in their back of minds uh, strategies to prevent crime from taking place. So we see this uh, playing out in our society in terms of many social customs, uh, informal community structures, religious teachings, uh, even local justice systems like panchayat and so on, uh, which try and play a role in preventing crimes from occurring. And one thing which I can distinctly remember is, you know, uh, Chowkidars in villages, Uh, from where I come from as well where you know one individual or a group of them by rotation is responsible of patrolling the village during the nights uh, so that you know they can watch out for thieves and other criminals. Uh, So uh, how does the Indian police look at uh, these you know informal social structures of crime prevention which have been uh, going on in the country and uh, you know uh, does the police leverage these options in its overall efforts at uh, reducing and preventing crimes?
0: Yes, uh, before we go to the Indian contest, let me go back a little uh, to uh, uh, Sir Robert Peel, uh, who was uh, probably the person who started the London Metropolitan Police in 1829. And Robert Peel, when setting up this uh, London Metropolitan Police, uh, laid out nine principles. And the first one of these was uh, that uh, prevention of crime is more important than catching a person after the crime has been committed. Uh, so uh, that is that is how old the concept of preventing crime is. And uh, uh, subsequently, when the 1861 Police Act was passed in India, uh, then Section 23 uh, of that Act, which is still in force in our country, uh, talks about Uh, the duties and responsibilities of the police and the first thing that is mentioned is prevention of crime. Subsequently, there is the mention of detection of crime. Now, in present-day circumstances, the United Nations, when it set up the Sustainable Developmental Goals, SDGs, one of those, uh, if I'm not correct, if I'm not wrong, uh, uh, role uh, uh, target 16, Uh, is uh, for development of sustainable cities. And the sustainable cities' uh, goal uh, envisages that uh, uh, these cities will be free of violence and, I would like to underline this, of fear of violence, especially uh, in respect of women and children. So what I'm trying to highlight here is that A, that preventive uh, action of the police has always been very important. And B, that now in modern times, uh, especially with increased urbanization and the increased presence of uh, women in public spaces, spaces including in India now, uh, uh, there is a need to, uh, to uh, focus more on uh, the safety of women in public spaces and inside homes. Uh, we will talk about that in in some detail later on, uh, and and it is also important to keep in mind that prevention of crime also now includes at at the at the at the theoretical level the absence of fear, so the the spectrum has been enlarged to that extent. Um, so that's the first point I wanted to make. You had talked about the village ogadah system and the traditional methods of of preventive policing in India. The Chowkidar system still exists uh, in the rural uh, areas of, of India. Uh, the police, as it is structured in India today, has an you know, urban bias in the sense that the number of policemen available in city, in urban areas is much more than uh, in, the, in the rural areas, which are, as you know, widespread and far-flung. Uh, so the village Chowkidar continues to be the first uh, port of call, if I may say so, for the criminal justice system. Uh, there was a time when the village chowkidar uh, was not so uh, integrated into the system. I remember about 20, 30, 40 years ago, uh, the village chowkidar had sort of fallen out of the system. But over the last 20 years or so, across the states, uh, the role and the importance of the village chowkidar has has once again been recognized he has been he has been once again kind of co-opted into the in the into the system he gets paid much better now and there are certain uh, do's and don'ts for him about what he has to do and how frequently he has to visit the police station and inform the police station in charge about the goings on in the khana uh, in the in the village that he's in charge of mm-hmm. uh, it's a semi formal uh, arrangement But it's an arrangement that has worked very well, especially in the rural areas where the police force is spread very thin. The the third point I would like to make is that in the traditional system of policing in India, uh, uh, there was what is called the village crime notebook, the VCNB as it is called. And and this village crime notebook uh, had details of all the crimes that had happened in a particular village over the years. And or a list of the bad characters who were residing in that particular village, and their activities were annually checked and recorded. Uh, now, uh, obviously, uh, th- this arrangement was pre- pre- was predicted on the limited mobility of the uh, of the of the of the criminal uh, uh, and that he would operate in an area of 15 20 30 miles uh, and people will get to know about his activities now obviously uh, with increased mobility and increased communication and all that this system uh, has very limited value uh, criminals living in uh, are uh, criminals living in uh, chennai for example are known to be committing in Particular kind of crime on on trains in northern India, and criminals from northern India are operating in Gujarat. I mean, this this is a, a trend that we have to understand. So, the whole uh, uh, you know presumption on which uh, the
1: old system was operating uh, is now uh, is now outdated. Right. I think uh, one of the things which you said which really struck me was that you know we need to expand the definition of crime prevention. Uh, to mean not just uh, taking steps towards curbing crimes from happening, but to create an atmosphere uh, where people can live without uh, fear. That, you know, when you talk about uh, freedom of fear, uh, freedom from fear or uh, freedom... the kind of freedom that actually helps people to make decisions without any sort of fear whatsoever. I mean, that's a lofty goal to aspire for. And it's interesting how crime prevention is also one aspect of um, delivering that kind of uh, safety in people's minds in modern society. Uh, Having said that... uh, I wanted to get into some specifics of uh, crime prevention strategies and I thought let's start by talking about something called the evidence-based policing, which is essentially a police uh, methodology that involves using uh, empirical research tools and scientific studies, uh, which uh, in turn are incorporated into practices and strategies of policing. Uh, so while there is a lot of discussion on evidence based policing especially in the west and i think indian police has also uh, been slowly uh, adapting this kind of policing i want to know from you if you can set out the context well uh, beforehand that is you know can you explain to us what evidence police evidence based policing means uh, maybe use some illustrations so that uh, we all have a good understanding of what uh, this essentially ha- uh, what this essentially uh, entails for the police
0: Yes, uh, evidence-based policing uh, was a was a concept that was uh, studied and started in America. Uh, in uh, a lot of study, which went into it, especially in uh, uh, in California and some parts of uh, of Chicago. Uh, and uh, the the basic concept behind evidence-based policing was that police resources should be channelized in areas that are more prone to crime and whether uh, a particular area is prone to crime or not uh, was uh, was crunched out through analysis of the huge amount of data that police or police departments were able to access uh, and uh, uh, with increasing digitization of this data uh, this uh, analysis of data became increasingly convenient and and possible so uh, uh, predictive policing or evidence-based policing is the application of analytical techniques, uh, especially quantitative techniques, to identify likely targets for police intervention and prevention of crime and to solve past crimes. So, very broadly, that is how uh, that is how uh, uh, evidence-based policing uh, became possible or became became a, a tool for the police in the con- context of India with the implementation of the CCTNS, Crime Control and Tracking Network, uh, which is now uh, implemented right across all the states of the country. There's huge amount of data available to the police forces to identify particular areas uh, which are crime-prone. Uh, also, through uh, those... Uh, through that data, people are uh, the police is also able to figure out who are the people who are who are the criminals who are operating in a particular area, and to identify also their acquaintances and their accomplices, not only in a particular area but uh, in other areas. For example, a criminal from uh, Bangalore could be traveling to Madras or Chennai, and there he would have a, a set of uh, accomplices uh, who would who would be operating with him. So if that data is available, so, uh, it, it helps the police target these uh, uh, bad characters or criminals in a more focused manner, firstly. Secondly, uh, because the uh, police now has uh, an idea about where crimes, crimes are happening, or hotspots as they are called, the uh, human resources and the other resources, resources available to the police, which are always in short supply, can be uh, can be uh, used in a more scientific manner so that uh, rather than spread out the police force across the jurisdiction uh, there is a concentration of effort in those areas which are identified as uh, hotspots or more crime prone that broadly is the is the framework in which uh, evidence based policing uh, is is operating uh, now uh, in the context of india uh, there have been, uh, you know, attempts and experiments uh, to uh, use evidence-based policing and preventive, predictive policing uh, to uh, to uh, to deliver better uh, services as far as the police is concerned. But as yet, I have not come across any uh, study to, uh, to 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 assess the impact of these interventions uh, on the quality of uh, services. Uh, or the quality of policing that has uh, you know that that could give us an idea about how effective it has been in the indian context
1: Right. Uh, So I think uh, some of the things that you touched upon uh, reminded me of this broken window theory, right? I think this was in vogue at some point in the US uh, back when predictive policing was just uh, coming up. And the idea was that, you know, in neighborhoods with more broken windows, there are more chances of uh, crimes occurring. So more police uh, forces were devoted to patrolling these uh, areas cracking down upon um, any small kind of uh, criminal infractions uh, and essentially maintaining a very tight uh, policing presence. Uh, Of course, today, times have changed. You don't have to look for... Uh, Broken windows to make this sort of uh, resource allocation, but rather you have uh, advanced technologies that can be deployed starting from geospatial tech to uh, CCTVs, uh, just criminal data from over the years, all of which can be analyzed uh, to predict whether a certain area is uh, prone to criminal activities or not. So uh, I want to ask something specific to this crime analysis that I was just describing. Uh, has the Indian police been successful at crime analysis? Is there a concerted effort within police departments to now uh, allocate resources based on these kind of needs uh, rather than, you know, just arbitrary or ad hoc allocation of police person?
0: Yes, as I said, uh, the efforts uh, towards uh, predictive policing and uh, evidence-based policings have uh, have been made uh, especially in uh, bigger cities like Mumbai and Delhi and, and a few others in Hyderabad for example. But as I said, there is no such study as yet to understand the impact of these efforts and whether those uh, experiments or those interventions were done in the best possible manner or not. Till such time as any st- some study comes to assess the uh, impact of these efforts we have to uh, we have to go on anecdotal evidence the unfortunately the anecdotal evidence uh, is uh, is mixed uh, at best uh, why i say that is because while uh, the identification of hotspots to understand where crime is taking place uh, is is more is more reliable because that is based on empirical fact of a crime having taken place in a particular area whether it is a burglary or a, a snatching or a, a particular area which is uh, vulnerable to uh, you know uh, women being stalked or girls being harassed uh, while while that part of it the the identification of hotspots is uh, is is slightly easier the other aspect of trying to identify who the criminal could be or has been uh, has uh, certain problems. This has been uh, studied in the West uh, and I'm sure that the same results would come out in the case of India as well where because of the police biases uh, the, the uh, people who are, ent- are identified as possible uh, uh, the uh, criminals who could have done a particular crime uh, that that uh, that data itself is uh, is dodgy uh, and as a result the uh, the results that come out of those analytical uh, efforts uh, are are subject to some kind of uh, you know doubts uh, i'll give you an example in the us for example when they did this uh, uh, exercise they realized that there were there was a very large percentage of people of color uh, and people from uh, and illegal immigrants who were targeted for all sorts of crimes uh, which ultimately it was found out they had not committed in the case of india also uh, there have been there have been instances where the identification of criminals who could have committed particular crimes uh, has got colored by the fact that the police data itself has inherent biases against uh, dalits Uh, tribals and other vulnerable people, especially those who live in slums and those who do not have substantial voice. Uh, Thirdly, in the case of India and in the case of uh, certain uh, geographies in the West as well, uh, unfortunately the the power of surveillance and the power of uh, scientific uh, and technological intervention has come in the way of uh, you know, uh, of people, uh, pro, uh, uh, people protesting against civic wrongs. Uh, there have been cases, for example, in in India, where where individuals who had gone in support of a, of a dharna or a uh, or or a protest in the, in some matter, uh, just because they were uh, present at a particular site, uh, not necessarily as participating, but just present. Uh, was they uh, the, and and they came and their faces came up in the surveillance they have been targeted because uh the, the, they were they were there was evidence uh, as far as uh, the technical part of it goes there was evidence that they were there whether they were there to just have a look or to participate or to indulge in violence uh, was kind of looked over so, uh, while predictive policing and uh, evidence-based policing has its obvious plus points, the, these biases need to be always kept in mind and, te- and, and, and we have to uh, be slightly more judicious when
1: using this, uh, this kind of technology and data. Stay tuned to All Things Policy. We'll be right back after a short commercial break. Right. Uh, Of course, I think we have spoken about uh, the ill effects of surveillance and the infringement of rights that mass surveillance can cause earlier on uh, the series as well. But uh, I want to limit uh, today's discussion on surveillance at least to one aspect, uh, which is, you know, uh, tracking offenders, because uh, criminal activities generally tend to be committed more by uh, previous offenders, those with a criminal track record. Uh, And this is uh, come out in many studies that if you are able to sort of like identify uh, these prevent uh, repeat offenders and sort of prevent them from uh, committing criminal activities then it goes a long way in crime prevention Uh, And I believe CRPC also has certain uh, age-old provisions, you know, regarding proclaimed offenders or externment, which is tadipar kardena is essentially banishing a person from a particular jurisdiction for a particular period of time. And then there are, uh, you know, history cheaters, many states have enacted gunda acts and so on, which keeps a record of all the history uh, cheaters, which is uh, rowdies uh, in that local police uh, jurisdiction. Uh, So, Having said all that, I still believe we have not been able to track this problem of... uh, uh, We have not been able to track this problem of tracking offenders... Uh, because you know, recently there were some discussions in the high courts of the country as to whether there can be a bail condition of an accused which asks him to share his WhatsApp location with the police all the time. Uh, now, if this is this a violation of privacy or is this justified? Because some jurisdiction also use things like uh, uh, electronic anklets uh, to keep track of people who are out on bail and so on. Uh, so, I wanted to know your thoughts on essentially this aspect of surveillance as to keeping track of offenders and repeat offenders. Or, uh, these, what we know, uh, what we colloquially call uh, the anti social elements. Uh, so, what is the problem here? Why uh, are police not being able to crack this? The uh, short answer to that is that uh, the
0: law in India does not permit the kind of uh, uh, things that the West is doing, for example, of having electronic uh, anklets uh, that, that are, you know, that the a person on bail has to wear, so that he does not move around beyond a particular area, and that he has to uh, you know, report to a police station at a particular frequency. There, there is no law which allows that kind of thing in India. And so that that is the short answer. Uh, why, you know, obviously, you, as you as you mentioned, there are issues of uh, privacy, uh, and there are issues of. Uh, you know, freedom of movement and all that, which are involved. So the Indian courts have not yet, uh, you know, allowed that kind of intervention by the Kudis. By the uh, surveillance uh, through other methods, uh, especially the tracking of the mobile phone, which almost every criminal, uh, you know, is using, uh, is something that happens. But it does not happen uh, on a you know, 24-7 basis because that has also been frowned upon by the courts. The courts uh, feel that if a person is wanted in a crime, you can track him. But if he's not wanted and just because he's had a criminal past, does not mean that the police has the power to keep tracking him on a 24-7 basis. This is especially true in case of organized crime uh, criminals. Uh, let us differentiate between those who are committing crime in an organized manner as part of a gang or are habitual criminals and others who are, you know, if I can use that word, first-time criminals or those who committed uh, crime once or twice in their uh, in their young age. For example, uh, you know, someone who's, uh, you know, stalking at girls or someone who's... Uh, who's creating a ruckus on the street corner. So uh, we have to differentiate uh, between these two categories, the organized crime and the the casual criminal, if I can use that word. So uh, those who are uh, in the organized crime category, the mobile phone and the tracking of these persons uh, done officially, oblique, unofficially is a tactic that is used uh, quite frequently. But... More often than not, uh, this is done off the records uh, because the courts will not allow 24-7 tracking of such persons unless he is wanted in a particular crime. If he is wanted in a particular crime, then obviously this is a legitimate way of trying to figure out where he is so that he can be nabbed. If if he is absconding,
1: then more options are available to the police right Also, uh, uh, at this point I want to move away from you know evidence-based policing and uh, predictive policing that we have been talking about for the last 20-25 uh, minutes and uh, actually bring bring into picture community policing uh, because community policing has also garnered quite a bit of attention uh, because these initiatives are seem to be bridging the gap between the police and the community uh, building trust and ensuring that you know the police are on side of the common people the law-abiding citizens uh, and they are there to perform their public duties so the people need not be distrustful of the police uh, but rather be uh, rather feel safe and secure in approaching them for their troubles and getting a resolution. So with this idea in mind, the police has also been, uh, you know, seeking out volunteers within the communities and trusting them with different functions and so on. And many state polices in India, police forces in India have launched these kind of initiatives. And just to mention a couple of them, uh, I think Kerala, uh, at least if we were to believe the media reports, has run a very successful janamaitri uh, program where kerala police has interacted with people on a regular basis and has uh, it has resulted in an image makeover and similarly i think there were other initiatives uh, in maharashtra such as police didi or police kaka which was essentially targeted at uh, building a good relationship between children who are vulnerable uh, who are at risk of criminal activities and the police right and there was also another uh initiative in Tamil Nadu called the Friends of Police but here I think it ran into a bit of controversy after nearly two decades of existence because some of the volunteers from Friends of Police were found to have engaged in uh, 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 in the uh, custodial death of two people who were arrested by police so this created a lot of controversy and the questions were raised about the uh, legality or desirability of such community policing initiatives. Uh, So I want to know from you, uh, uh, what has been the effort of police generally in terms of community policing? Uh, What do you think are the pros and cons of such initiatives? What have been the successes and failures? And do you think the police should persist uh, with more such initiatives?
0: Uh, Let me go back again to Robert Peel. uh, And one of the principles, one of the nine principles that he had enunciated when he established the London Metropolitan Police in 1829 was that you have to, that the police has to recognize, the, recognize that their ability to prevent and detect crime depends on public approval of their existence, action and behavior, and on their ability to secure and maintain public respect. He went on to say in his next principle that the willing cooperation of the public in the task of securing the observance of law is one of the basic principles on which the police has to work. So what I'm trying to say is that the necessity and the importance of community approval of police action and community cooperation in police action is something that has been recognized over over 100 years ago or almost 200 years ago. Now, uh, the question is that uh, why is the police not able to get that kind of uh, support from the public? I think the the, the uh, best answer to that would be that the police across all geographies and including in India has been known to either misuse their authority, uh, which is something that the community dis- disapproves of and rightly so, or it is seen as uh, exercising its, its authority in a subjective manner uh, that is uh, because of extraneous considerations. Those extraneous considerations could be could be any. Uh, it could be political interference. It could be money. It could be uh, you know some other uh, you know motivation that is non-objective. If I can if I can use that word. So uh, there is no doubt that the the role of the community is both in in in. Uh, making the police action more justifiable to the public. It is equally important for making the police efforts successful. uh, And it is equally important for making the police authority more uh, more acceptable uh, to to the people whom they are intended to serve. In the case of India, uh, you mentioned that uh, the Kerala example or the Tamil Nadu example, let me add to that by saying that in Uttar Pradesh, for example, they had what was called the police mitra system. Uh, unfortunately, this system also ran into some controversy because A, the people who were uh, appointed or nominated as police mitras, mitras became minor power centers in their own sense because uh, they had access to the police thana and they used that access for, uh, to grind their own access. Uh, including making money and for implicating innocent people uh, in false cases and stuff like that. And also, uh, it became a a tool for political interference in the working of the police. Uh, Unfortunately, politics jumps into every aspect of the lives of Indians. And this is one such example where uh, police methods were made only if they had affiliation to particular... Uh, you know political parties or leaders of political parties, with the result that the objectivity that was expected of them was lost uh, in uh, the, therefore while at a conceptual level the involvement of the police is very of the community sorry is very important at the at the real level at the at the at the ground level, what happens is that Those who get involved with the police uh, as volunteers develop their own vested interests in in a short period of time. And the result of this is that the real good Samaritan uh, is forced to stay away because he doesn't want to get into all this.
1: Right. So I actually echo most of the concerns that you have raised on community policing because when the state delegates its power uh, to a third person, a private citizen, essentially the policing power is being delegated in some way to that person, then we need to be highly careful because uh, this is delegation without uh, accountability or powers uh, without responsibility sort of a situation. And I do not know to what extent that is desirable uh, because there are more major problems to be solved in terms of police, state capacity and so on. And that cannot be bridged with uh, ad hoc solutions like engaging volunteers and so on. Uh, So having said that, I want to know from you uh, the final thought on, you know, having a crime prevention law or policy uh, for the country itself because right now there is no general uh, crime prevention law or policy at the union level or at the state levels Uh, but of course police forces have introduced many uh, initiatives that we have discussed which are targeted at crime prevention Uh, so do you think the lack of a coordinated national or state level strategy uh, is hurting India's uh, crime prevention efforts?
0: Uh, see, I am not sure whether uh, a national level directive of of this kind or a, a law of this kind would be possible in the federal system that we that we have in India, uh, because some states may uh, may have you know different views about uh, about how they want to go about the preventive part of policing uh because obviously uh, what would work in meghalaya for example may not work in gujarat and what works in haryana for example may not work in bihar that that concern is valid and the and the present and political environment where uh, you know encroaching fed, encroaching union centralization is an issue i don't know whether in the short term that kind of effort is possible but definitely at the state level there should be a more organized and well thought out, you know, uh, standing standard operating procedure, uh, which 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 kind of lists out the dos and don'ts for the police at the thana level, so from the uh, for for the police to concentrate more on prevention and uh, um, not only on detection, which unfortunately is the is the case now. Uh, presently, uh, police action is often reactive. After a crime has happened, they react to it and rather than uh, have a situation where uh, uh, there is effort to prevent a crime from happening. At this stage, I would uh, like to, uh, to introduce to you the, uh, the impact uh, of the uh, emergency response Systems that some states or uh, have have started. Uh, I'm talking about the uh, 112 program uh, that uh, that is operating in operation across the across the country, uh, and, and uh, this was a program that I started uh, in 2016 uh, in, in Uttar Pradesh, which I'm therefore aware of of how it is working in some more detail. Uh, what has happened is that because now the thana is not the only place that a public that a public person can go to to record his complaint and he can record his complaint over the phone on 112 uh, just by ringing up the uh, and and the and the emergency response vehicle is able to come uh, within a period of 10 to 15 minutes uh, uh, depending upon the location of the of the of the complainant what what has happened is that a lot of domestic violence cases have been prevented or intervened into. Uh, in, for example, in one month in Uttar Pradesh, about 2,000 cases of domestic violence were reported over 112 by, uh, by, the, by the victim. Uh, and, uh, and all of these cases, or 99% of these cases were attended to by the emergency response vehicles which are uh, patrolling the whole state at all times. And through these uh, interventions, a lot of domestic violence issues were resolved. So when we had initially talked about the fear, uh, removing fear being part of the prevention of crime, I think these attempts and these uh, experiments and interventions have been very, very useful. Uh, The second thing that I want to... uh, The second initiative that I want to mention is... the, uh, the thing called the uh, 1090, or Das Navi, as, as it is called in Uttar Pradesh. This is a project that was started once again in 2014-15 in Uttar Pradesh. And it is meant to uh, assist uh, young girls uh, and ladies who are being harassed and stalked uh, on phone uh, or on the streets uh once again all they have to do is ring up 1090 and uh, the process of identifying the person who was talking them or harassing them on the phone or doing such things uh, which which are uh, which create fear in their minds uh, that person is tracked and he's counseled uh, uh if if he's if he's if he continues to harass that uh, girl or individual, then he is then uh, you know brought into the ambit of law and his action is taken against him. So what I am trying to say is that interventions of these kind uh, have been made uh, and uh, they need to uh, be continued with more uh, with more uh, you know uh, with more energy so that they attend to the those sections of people. Uh, of our population, especially girls and women who have till now not been able to access the uh, criminal justice system to, uh, to, uh, to complain about the kind of uh, harassment and uh, fears that they have when they step out into
1: the uh, public space or even within their own households. Thank you, Mr. Ahmed, for joining me on this episode to discuss crime prevention strategies and hope to have you back on Police chowki very soon once again. Thank you, Sri. Thank you.
0: If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.